Greetings, Questa, and welcome to the Meddlesome Meeples. Grab an ale, sheathe your axe, and join us fireside. Here's your host, Matt Williams, with Richard and Heather. Hello and welcome to season two of the Medicine Meeples. We're back. We're back, folks. We are back. Yeah. So, I'm celebrating <laughs> inside. Sorry, I didn't make a noise there. <laughs> if you've not joined us before, I'm Matt. I'm Richard. I'm Heather. And we are the Medicine Meeples. So today we're going to be talking about a few topics. First off, we've got a couple of board games to talk to you about, Richard. Twilight Imperium and Rising Sun, so two massive games. Yeah, it's the fourth edition from of Twilight Imperium we're going to be talking about, Heather. That's right, I'm just mesmerised when you're trying to turn your head really, really slack, carefully. You do everything very carefully when you're wearing a hat like this. Now, to our listeners, as opposed to our viewers, you can't see, but I am wearing a ridiculously oversized hat. He's wearing a massive hat. It is a massive hat. And he wore it around London with me for two hours. It was fun. In the snow and blizzards. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, as usual, we'll be talking about the latest releases and some album reviews in yeah. the Bard's Corner. And we'll also be looking back at some of our favourite albums from last year with the Paradise Rock Music Awards. Um, also, Richard's going to be talking about two books by Ian M. Banks. Yep. Richard? That is Consider Phoebus and also Use of Weapons. Yes. Now, when Richard initially told me we were going to be discussing the use of weapons on the show, I wasn't entirely sure what he, he meant, but I was quite pleased it was a book. Admit so. it, you got a little bit excited. Uh, it's been a while since we've last released uh, an episode. Mm-hmm. What has everyone been up to? <laughs> Richard? Uh, well, various things, but uh, what I've been doing lately a lot is... Uh, uh, Metal Gear Solid 5, which um, I've really been enjoying, especially the Fulton device, which is where you, uh, it's like where you attach a balloon to somebody and mm. then they float up in the air and then get grabbed by a plane, but <laughs> in Metal Gear Solid 5 you can do that all the time. Like on the others you can tranquilise a guard, just put him to sleep in a very humane way and then just hide the body, but this one, you Fulton the device him out. And goes, I don't know, when you say hide the body, it just sounds sinister. Hide the sleeping body <laughs> hide of the, the person, s- then he can wake up later and go about his day. <laughs> put the sleeping man away, that's what you do. Yeah, or woman, yeah. and it could be either. Yeah, and then... Well, that does sound more sinister. Yeah, in this one, know. though, you they they go flying up into the air because you use this Fulton device, and <laughs> you can only go, Wah! and then the hat falls down. And then you um, actually give them a job. Hey, they been, actually go work You'd be nice to people base. with hats, okay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that <laughs> would be straight not, off. Yeah, that wouldn't survive. That. <laughs> yeah. We are a hat-friendly programme. Keep it hat-friendly. It, we're having to become hat friendly because of what you keep doing. Yeah. <laughs> we're very accepting. <laughs> we are very accepting, yeah. So, uh, just attack there. Heather? <laughs> um, we've been painting some miniatures, haven't we? We've yeah, we've a been... lot of bought new board oh, games. Oh, they're amazing. Yeah. Scythe ones. Yeah, working they're on really some cool. mini- yeah. minis for Scythe yeah. at the moment. I got to play Twilight Imperium for the first time. Yeah. Because that was pretty yeah. cool. Because we were always playing it when we were away at different places and you never got to join in, no. did you? But we yeah, me and Matt got to play it. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Heather. Poor Heather. Hey, hey, I may have come in last, but I, I did pretty well. You did well, especially yes. for your first game. Um, yeah, we went. We had our anniversary, didn't we? We went away yeah, to London. Yeah, that too. We got some good presents. Um, yeah, we we got to have a wander around Camden, where I got this particular hat. 
It was a magical day. It was a great It actually was, because it was like... It, it, it was when we had the really bad snow, when the mm. beast from the east came in, and um, we had a lot of... We, we just basically went into Camden Market and then came out, and it was just a blizzard. Mm. You know, it was. We tried, kept trying to take a, a selfie of the two of us together while we were there because we were child free for the first time in ages. And um, as you do, as, as you do, and uh, selfie time, selfie time. Yeah. Obviously, no kids. I've definitely selfie. There's only two of us for and, once. I've got yeah, I fit everyone we're, in. We were both wearing hats. Heather was wearing a hat. I was wearing a hat. It was a perfect time for a picture. Aww. We had all the snow. It was nice romantic. It was beautiful, scenic. Uh, Camden Town. If you've not been there before. Great place, by the way. And um, kept trying to take this selfie, but we couldn't keep our eyes open because the 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 snow was driving the yeah. wind. The uh, the wind was driving the snow oh, so fast yeah. into our eyes. It was painful to have your eyes open. <laughs> just yeah, you showed really me those judging everybody. <laughs> yeah. That's like, why you were so angry. All and we're really yeah. suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> really suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> we're just suspicious of everything. Fact yeah. a lot of conspiracies in Camden. Yeah. Oh, Especially with that hat. The food it in changed. Camden Market was incredible. <laughs> we got to go to. Um, a gig as well, didn't we, in Islington while we were Yeah, there? That, was, that was brilliant. We uh, saw Scarlet Aura, who were mm. really great. Singer very much like a little Doro. Very, very talented. <laughs> we, were, um, we, were, we were stood far away, though, so... <laughs> yeah, well, everyone looks small if you stand away far enough. Um, <laughs> Beast in Black, which were oh, fantastic. Yeah. Got to meet the uh, lead singer as well, Yanis, after the show. That was cool. And Rhapsody, one of my grail bands, a band I've always wanted to see live. Uh, we got to see them for their Finally. 20th anniversary. And their farewell tour. So he did so, a load of Bard's Corner stuff. He did really, a lot yeah, of Bard's yeah. Corner stuff. So we have to cover that now. Yeah, we, we're going to have to talk yeah. about that. And they were, they were just mind-blowingly good. Mm. They did my entire favourite album. And then all the other songs. Was, I was saying to Heather, they did every song I wanted them to see. I wanted them to do. So that was just... Fantastic! You must have venue, known it was your anniversary. So that was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. It was like it was my own personal show. If, <laughs> the only thing that would have made it better is if uh, Fabio or Luca had been wearing one of these hats. Yeah, that you, always you makes every day better if someone's wearing that hat. Yeah. yeah. So other than that, it's large. We we went on a family holiday, didn't we, to uh, Centre yeah. Parks with family and friends, which was cool. We uh, you're just always thinking of more stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we that was that was We're great not as fun. Boring as we thought. No. Well, um, that's good to know. Yeah. Spent <laughs> spent most of February, to be fair, just um, decorating in the house and remodelling. I got to knock some walls out with a massive hammer, which was very therapeutic. Oh yeah, that's oh, the yeah. real reason why we're only just back now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, well, the thing is, once you, once you knock a wall out, you start wandering around looking for other walls to knock out, and you know it just escalates. You took the floor up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Things things escalate from there. So a lot's happened at uh, the headquarters, municipal headquarters, and <laughs> so this is a rubbish headquarters. <laughs> It's this where room. I plan my world domination. This time, usually on small floor, maps and with yeah. lots of bits of plastic. So, you know, <laughs> in many ways, more you know, it's it's more sophisticated than Brit- the Britain's War Room. So, Matt has plans. I have so many plans. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we're back. We hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll see you in a few minutes. Hello and welcome to the Quest Report, where this week we are talking about a massive game. It is Twilight Imperium, the fourth edition, which we finally have been able to play. And Matt's going to tell us about it. Yep, and I'm going to preface this with a little disclaimer. Yeah. We haven't been paid for this, that's not the disclaimer. But Twilight Imperium 3, for a number of years, has been my favourite game. Because Mm -hmm. of its epic scope, uh, the way it handles combat and politics... Uh, and exploration in a way that a lot of other games just don't. 
and I really enjoy all those different elements of the game. The trading really matters, whereas it doesn't in a lot of games uh, so much. Can be a bit added on, can't it? Yeah. Uh, whereas TI3, to me, was just a perfect blend of, of those various elements. Mm. And I love how deep the game was, although it took a lot of time. You didn't feel like it took a lot of time because you just lost yourself in no. the excitement of the game. You just realise it's dark outside yeah. and you're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and there's wolves howling at the moon. Sort of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but... TI4, once I played it for the first time, automatically surpassed that. Mm. There was one thing that I didn't think it did as well as TI3. Right. Everything else I thought it did better. So I'll start off with that one thing. We're not just going to be comparing it all the way through this review, just, just in case you're not familiar with that. I just want to talk but about in, the one thing. Yeah. <laughs> but in TI3, you had these little exploration tokens so that you could use as an optional oh, uh, yeah. rule. So it wasn't you didn't have to do it, but you could do it. Mm. And you had these little tokens that you'd mix up, shuffle up, put face down on the different planets. And then as you landed on a planet, um, you would reveal this token. And maybe you got some resources that you, your troops found there. Uh, you might find some locals that would resist your landing. And you'd have to, your troops might be wiped out by some gas cloud. Or you mm. may have to fight to try and take control of that planet. Yeah, All sorts of things could happen. things yeah. on the planet. It yeah. could just be a safe planet with nothing. You just turn it over and it's a blank token. I, I um, did enjoy that when we did the third edition. Yeah. yeah. Even though it killed all my guys sometimes that were landing on the planet. But it, it, yeah. it added to that feeling of exploration, didn't it? Yeah, and it exploring did. the unknown as you uh, drop troops on the planet. So you're not just fighting the other guys that are sitting around the table with you. There's also something yeah. in the game that's a threat. Yeah. And actually, Star Trek Ascendancy does that quite well with the exploration tokens and the yeah. possible civilizations you're going to encounter. Send all the ensigns down to die. Yeah. <laughs> well, if they're going to put on a red shirt, they've got it coming. Especially when it's a long series. So yes. Yeah. There we go. It was their own fault. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that is the only thing I thought TI3 had going for it over TI4. Everything else, TI4 is superior. And if you really wanted to, you could just keep those tokens and put them on planets anyway to add them in to TI4. Just don't tell them to be that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't you tell the game do designers. <laughs> you could do this. Yeah. Maybe it's a possible ex future expansion. Who knows? It could be. FFG yeah. are not really known for wanting to make money out of expansions, are they? No. 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 I mean, that's just sad. Yeah. <laughs> Some people just want to make money. <laughs> but everything else, it seems to be improved on, and it feels like the game's been streamlined in a lot of ways. Uh, for example, uh, just even the way they do the, the player cards, okay? You've now got two sheets that uh, you use. Uh, one one will talk you through the different phases of the game and allows you to control your tactic fleet and strategy oh, yeah. tokens. Kind of put them together, don't you? To keep your trade goods. Whereas before on TI3, it was all in one bundled space. Okay? Right, yeah. Um, also, what this does, differently, on the back, it gives you your starting units on the back of your player sheet. Mm -hmm. That used to be on the front of the sheet in TI4, uh, TI3, sorry. But obviously, you only need that right at the beginning of the game. So you... It's now on the back with all the Keep lore. turning it over and scattering so, yeah. all the pieces. So now, you, every, as soon as you start, you just turn it over, everything's in one place. There's nothing on this sheet that you don't need. Mm. It's just made a little bit smarter. One thing I like about it as well is now you've got your pictures on the front of your player sheet to help you easily identify which of your various ships are what type. Because there was a lot of them. There is a lot. And if it's particularly if you're not familiar with the game, you might be thinking, oh, 
what's a cruiser? Which one's a destroyer? Which one's a dreadnought? Which one's a carrier? <laughs> you know, whereas it's not good for a general to be thinking that. <laughs> Admiral. Admiral would be thinking that. Admiral. Um, there you are. But, I demoted myself after yeah. the game. <laughs> Hang your head in shame. With um, but all of that is there. It's easier to keep track of. And what's quite smart about it as well is that with the technology cards, because you used to get upgrades for your ships and you'd have them next to your um, next to your player sheet. You keep having to now, look at them. Now, when you get the upgrades for your ships, you just cover up the one on your on your main player sheet. Yeah, so you kind of modify it as yeah. you get more advanced. And it just helps keep everything more organised and easier to get your head around, yeah. as I say, if you're not too familiar. Because it is a big game uh, in scope, so there's a lot to take in. Yeah, if so we all have this placemat in front of us. <laughs> <Put> yeah. <things> <laughs> on. <laughs> and it just it made everything a lot simpler. The other thing that I really like about this is the tech tree. Now, the tech tree for the previous Twilight Imperiums could be a little bit convoluted at times because you'd have to get very specific tech cards to then be able to unlock other tech cards in the tech tree and yes, people mm. used to have apps on their iPads and stuff like that to to try and help keep track of where they are because otherwise you're constantly flicking through your tech deck going okay well what can I build I've got this and I've got that yeah I think I just what asked that you allow or something me to... yeah. <laughs> consult with the enemy about yeah. what I can build <laughs> I wish I'd always give you an honest reply. Uh, but this time, instead of having to have uh, you know very specific uh, technology, whether it's anti-mass deflectors or something like that, um, you, you now every tech is coloured. Yeah. So you've got your red red tech, yellow tech, green tech, and blue tech. Yeah, and as you look at a tech things. card, you it will have like on the bottom right hand corner um, maybe a green insignia or a yellow insignia, and that means that that's one towards the cost of buying another tech with that colour. Yeah, so rather than needing specific technologies to lead to another one, you just might need two reds and a yellow. Yeah. And if you have them, then you can build that next technology. Yeah. And it just makes it more streamlined, a lot easier to get your head round, a lot easier as you're going through because you want to build a new technology, but you're not necessarily sure which one to build. It yeah. allows you to much more easily go, oh, I can build this, I can build that, I can build that. And it's it speeds up gameplay time because of that. It makes it easier to get your head round. There were quite a few things that sped up gameplay, I thought, mm. even though it still took all day. But, um... but that was with five players. Yes. And it's still, I think our play time was probably four and a half, five hours, and that included breaks for food. Yeah. Yeah, and breaks for reading rules and working out what we were doing and stuff yeah. which happens sometimes yeah you always encounter some kind of weird situation but anyway everybody knows if you know anything about twilight imperium that is an absolutely massive game mm. you do have to set aside a whole day to yeah. play it it's not a games night least. it's an event isn't it yeah it's as an as event it was a day and we had been planning it for a long time yeah. to be able to to do that so it's a great way to spend christmas day isn't it is that it was that the day i think it ran it was around there. that yeah which is like the fact that we can still remember all this what that happened. <laughs> that was the last shows... time. We, that was the last time we've had a chance to play it. Yeah, it was... but we can still remember so mm. much about it because it it was so great, and we've got all these uh, things. So I don't I'm not sure if we have to describe just just something about the rules anyway. It's all about space empires anyway. Yeah. I mean, we build the galaxy out of tiles. That mm. happens at the start of the game, so it's a different galaxy each time. We each have our home planet. And then we explore from there. Yeah. And um, each planet will have resources and it will also have some influence as well, which is the political yeah. kind of power, like how much clout you have to be able to vote on different things. And 
basically it is a very very detailed game about running your own space empire mm. and there are victory points aren't there but there are they you get them in so many different ways though that there's so many different ways to win you were the emirates of haken yep. how you say it which are, we all I call them hakan but... hakan okay hakan they they're the lion ones now the lion is always what you see on the front of the box aslan. <laughs> yeah aslan <laughs> But the way they actually play, they were a bit more like Ferengis, weren't they? So they're yeah. like the, uh, the lion the trading. Yeah. They're the trading part of the Empire. So. so Matt had loads of trading abilities and stuff, and it was really good. Like, do some trading with the Emirates. It felt like the time. trading really actually mattered. As, some, so, as I say, some games I've played with trading in it, it doesn't feel like it particularly matters that much. It's just, okay, you're going to have this, and I'm going to have this off mm. you. With this, it really did feel like I, I was able to use that and influence... Um, influence people around me because I had so many things I could trade with. Yes. Um, so, like, I was able to trade not with anybody at the table, not just my neighbours, uh, but it meant that I could sort of influence people maybe not to attack me because yeah. they'd want to trade with me on the next round. Which is how bit. global trade helps mm. to revert wars. So, yeah. <laughs> we've seen it in action in this game. So, yeah, you were the, uh, the Emirates of Hakan and I was the Universities of Jonar, which a lot of the time... In, especially in the other games, uh, other editions of this, this is kind of who you want to be. And I was glad that I got this. We did mm. it randomly, didn't we? We yeah. kind of like dealt them out, and I was really happy to get these. I was actually hoping to be the, the Universities of Jolmar, because they start off so close to building a war sun, which, if you're not familiar with this game, is kind of the equivalent of a Death Star. Yeah, and in this edition, they look amazing. Yeah. They're like in two little pieces that you stick together to make the mini. That is one <laughs> of the things I wanted to mention. Obviously, for some people, aesthetics aren't going to be particularly important as, it, as theme and gameplay. No. But the actual components for this... Uh, the ships and everything look a lot more sleek than the older editions. Well, Less they just clunky. zip around the galaxy. Yeah. They, 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 just, they just look better. I mean, if you compare them side by side, they've not really hugely changed the model, but everything just looks a little bit sleeker, a little bit more clean-cut in the way... Obviously, moulding techniques and things have come on a lot in 20 mm. years from when the game first started. Uh, and even since the third edition came out, it's improved a lot. And it does reflect in the quality of the components here. Um, but you are still going to be able to recognise, if you're familiar with TI3, you're going to be able to go, oh yeah, that one's the that one's the Dreadnought, that's going to be the Warsun, that's the Destroyer, etc. Yeah. It just looks better, better made. Yeah, and like you said before, you've got the little pictures here, and so you can easily see kind of mm. what stats it has and how far it can move and things like that. So... The way that yeah. uh, they those stats work is, for example, in combat, it'll give you a, a number for hit for hits, and everything above that number scores a hit. So, for example, you you know you dreadnought hits on a five or above, and you're using ten sided dice. So, effectively, with a dreadnought, you've always got a fifty fifty chance. In fact, uh, slightly more than fifty yeah. chance. You've got a sixty percent chance of hitting on a d ten. Um, some of them not so good like your dread destroyer which only hits on a nine but it gets to um make the anti-fighter barrage before combat begins which is very good because without getting too technical fighters effectively soak up enemy damage mm. so it's a good way of meaning that your hits really count for more yeah so you take out the fighters with the anti-fighter barrage and then your actual when you're rolling the die 
then uh, those hits are going to go on the big ships after yeah. that. So, yeah, that's a, a good tactic for combat. There wasn't that much combat when we played it. There was towards the end. Um, yeah, there were we... several <laughs> massive fleet battles. Yeah, um, between you and Heather. And Carolyn. <laughs> and Carolyn. And Carolyn. Yeah. There was... Um, well, my na- I had Sam on one side, didn't I? We didn't really uh, scrap too much. We were, we were quite you friendly neighbours. We were yeah. trading a lot. Mm. Um, you were fighting with Sam on the other side and with me a little bit. I went to Sam's system to test my war son. That, that's what happened. And he was your new Alderaan. He was um, Alderaan, <laughs> yeah. Which uh, I felt quite bad about. Towards the end, though, there were some real epic space battles. Because I was being a- attacked, because as, as it got close to me winning, uh, Heather and Carolyn both attacked me quite a bit. And there was quite a lot of strikes from my fleet onto onto them, and they were attacking me as yeah. well. It was... Well, they were next. They were near you. Mm. I really, I wanted to attack you because you were so close to winning. But <laughs> there wasn't that much I do. I you did attack me not long before that, though. You well, I'd, yeah. What happened I'd was I managed to take Met- Mechatol Rex. Yes, and so you just had some guys on Mechatol Rex, and what I actually did towards the end was I did some quick R and D to <laughs> upgrade the. Oh, I think it was my carrier to upgrade mm. the engines on my carrier to make it be able to get to Mechatol Rex before the end of the game and drop some guys down to try and fight your guys there, mm. just to take away some kind of advantage you may have had. But, uh, I mean, it got there, and then the guys all just got shot and died. <laughs> I mean, it was worth a try. It was worth a try. But that that was my contribution to the war effort. The yeah. rest of the time I was just kind of cheering Heather and Carolyn on. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things that is different about this game as well from previous editions, Mm -hmm. and we've got to mention this, is the strategy cards. Now, the way the game works, at the start of every round, you're going to be drawing strategy cards, and they are very, very important. For one thing, they dictate the turn order for that round, with numbers from lowest going uh, to high. And secondly, they give you abilities. Now, each one of these has a primary ability, which you can use... And they're always very good, mm. as well as a secondary ability, which other people can do if they spend tokens. Yeah. So, for example, uh, let's take one. Uh, the technology card. Now, this is number seven, so this is one of the lower ranks, which means you're, you're going to be coming uh, having yeah. to go later in the game. But it allows you to research a technology for free, and then you can spend six resources to research one more technology. So, potentially two technologies there, one of them free. A secondary ability allows other players to spend one token from their strategy pool and four resources to research a technology. So there's a a good benefit for you, which is typically free, with an optional secondary one there to spend, Mm. and then something else that other people can do for for spending. And these, you can't pass until you've used your um, strategy card. Yeah, because you've picked your strategy at the start. You have to actually do the strategy that you've picked at some point. And I you love... can take actions without using a strategy card. But yeah, you yeah, have to I know, use them know what you mean, but it's uh This is what I love about this game, is that mm. everybody... You can kind of decide, well, my, ship's, my, my thing is doing okay for technology at the moment. I think I need to do some trade. So then at the start of that, you will pick the trade strategy. Mm. Like, for this turn, my strategy is trade. Yeah. And obviously you do other things, but that is your your kind of special ability yeah. you have for that time. So the ones that there are are leadership, diplomacy, politics, construction, trade, warfare, technology, and imperial, which is a bit of a weird one. And that, and is that has been uh, that has been changed from the first one because in the in TI three, typically you just took that and you got a point, which meant broken. 
Yeah, it would break the game because yeah. you know people would just be keep grab, grabbing that, and then maybe on the next turn they'd get the leadership uh, one, so they could pick first next just time alternate, and yeah. then go for the uh, the imperial one again. Mm. Now that did break the game in one of the expansions for TI three. They they brought out a new set of these cards, and this reflects the second. You know. That that expansion. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, the one version. that works. This is yeah. the one that works. And it, with this one, you gain a point if you control Mechatol Rex. Yeah. So the not just for taking that. So you can still mm. score points off that. Um, and it is a good one to have. But you, as soon as you go to Mechatol Rex, usually everyone goes for you. Mm. So which we did. Which we did, and it was fun. I enjoyed <laughs> yeah, it. It was fun. Um, but all of these cards, there isn't a bad one. And this is one of the things I like about the game. There isn't a bad choice here. No. Because everything you do is going to be good. So, for example, Warfare, which gives is six. So, again, it's a lower... You're not going to be going first. Remove one of your command tokens from the game board, then gain a command token, and redistribute any number of the command tokens on your command sheet. Now, what this means is that you can do something that no one else can do. Because once you activate a system to do something in it, you put a command token on it. You can't do anything else in that system again. You can't take ships out of that system. But this allows you to do that, which means you can make a lot more movement, for example, because you can bring ships into a place, take your command token off, and move them out again, so you can travel further. Mm. It allows you to do a lot more production in an area. It allows you to um, have more battles in an area. And it is brilliantly named as the Warfare one because it just allows you to do a lot more. Yeah, that's but, the thing. It's not obvious why that has something to do with war, yeah. taking the command token away. But it does mean you can attack twice yeah. and move your ships further where other people can't. Yeah. So, yeah. And then you've got Politics, which is number three. You know, Choose a player other than the speaker. That player gains a speaker token, which means... Uh, you can then draw two action cards as well. And you can uh, alternate some of the agenda decks. So this is a very useful one. It means that you're going to have more clout when it comes to uh, using the politics cards. The diplomacy one means that you can choose a system except Mechatol Rex and, and stop anyone from attacking you in that system. And there's just every single one of these gives you something really good. Mm. So even if you are maybe the last one to choose, you're not going to think, oh, well, I'm just going to have to take this one. It's a dud, but it's all that's left. There's always going to be something good that you can do. And it allows you to play to the strengths of your faction because you can pick one that pairs well with your faction. I kept picking the technology one because I was at universities and I was yeah. doing research. And then because I was picking that, other people got to do some as well. They just had yeah. to spend some resources because that's the other thing. If somebody does take the one that you wanted... Uh, when they use it, you can spend a few resources and use a secondary ability. It's normally almost as good. Yeah, but it's just like a less powerful, powerful version of the main one, isn't there? Yeah, so it's not like you'd be completely stuck. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the strategy part is one of my favourite bits. And it's it's always fun like looking at what everybody else picks and, and you think, I kind of know what they're going to do now. <laughs> Combat's really straightforward. Um, dice rolling. Dice rolling. And there are cards that you can use that will affect... You can play to affect combat as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of that is very simple and very straightforward. I say it is still a big time hunk. You will need a day to play this if you're going to have more than three players. But what else were you going to do that day? Well, I mean, <laughs> would you rather play TI4 or do something else? I mean, it's going to be TI4. Um, this dangerous. <laughs> yeah, this is a brilliant successor, in my opinion, to TI3. It does everything that I would like a new edition to do in that it improves on the original in every single way. Uh, I'm going to keep my 
little tokens for exploration though. <laughs> um, but other than that, yeah, it improves on everything. It's looks better, plays better, streamlined, easier to understand. I have to give this one a huge recommendation. It is my new favourite game, TI3. It was nice while it lasted, but you've been replaced by a newer, younger model. And, uh, you know, accept your fate. <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> accept your fate. But it's still here. It's up it there. is. It is. Um, that's because I haven't decided whether to sell it or to keep it for component parts. Um, mm. Well, keep it so for your exploration. TI3, you may end up being scrapped for spares, but... <laughs> It gets worse. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not looking good for Heather. Uh. <laughs> I loved this game as well. And, um, well, I, I always did love the whole universe of it as well because um, I was reading the lore compendium mm. for the, the few weeks before we played it. So I, I borrowed this because I wanted to kind of get really into all the, like, all the story of it mm. and everything to really understand is... what they were actually doing. I mean, it does add to... Uh, a game if you've got a good bit of fluff and lore to go with it and story and you understand better why things are happening yeah why the races are built the way they are and um ti4 when it came out it had the lore compendium to come with it you also on the day it was released Mm -hmm. you could get like a deluxe hardback that had all the gameplay the faq and the the lore Oh, yeah, inside as well, as well you? which yeah. uh, is nice and it's handy to have that because it meant that uh, you could take away the, the rule books and mm. read it and I could read it beforehand so we both had a chance to read the rules before we played I think that's why I was able to read it beforehand Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I like it when you've got, got that option I mm. think every game should come with two rule books yeah. and every game over a certain scale should come with two rule books you mm. know, Splendour and Ticket to Ride they barely need a one rule book so. no they don't <laughs> But yeah, it did benefit from having that second rule book. But it, as I say, hugely, uh, huge improvement on the on TI3. I, if you like science fiction, if you like area control, if you like strategy games at all, then to me this is an essential game, but don't expect to play it that often. That's it. If, uh, if you didn't have it here, I would probably not know about it. But I would also, um, I would like to have my own copy of this, but... Like it's unlikely that I'd have enough time or space to play it. <laughs> like I realise how big a table you need mm. for this and how much of a day. And it's like I just want to keep coming around here and, and playing your copy of it. <laughs> and, uh, so it is a great game, and uh, I probably it is probably one of my favourites. It's just the fact that it's so difficult to find enough time to play it, mm. but um, it's well worth it once you do. So there we are. We're giving TI4 a massive Meddlesome Meeple's recommendation. It's the most meddlesome game I've ever played. It I've is. got to say that. It is. So there we are. Stay meddlesome. Well, that was fun. Let's carry on with the show. The Meeples Alive! There is a game from Cool Mini or Not. They call the Rising Sun. Nice. <laughs> this is the second time Sweet. we've actually... <laughs> Yeah, this is the second time I've had to record this, the second take. I was hoping he wouldn't do that this time as well. (laughs) Well, there you are. Disappointment, get used to it. (laughs) But we weren't disappointed in this game. No, we loved this game. Now, we we liked... This is the third, isn't it, in the um, series of games, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You've got, first off, Chaos in the Old World, then Blood Rage, and this has been described by Eric Lang, who 
designed the game as the spiritual successor to Blood Rage. Have we talked about either of those games on the podcast? No. We just play them all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Those those are games that are just there for our enjoyment, really. We don't share them with the world. (laughs) Personal use. (laughs) And um, you can tell in some of the design how that is the case, can't you? You can see elements, um, like the area control works very similarly to Blood Rage. I think these are some of the best area control games Mm. because it's not a massive part of it. There's so much more, like with all the cards and everything and um, what else you can do in the game. And and also the fighting is kind of limited, which is nice. It you can't is, just because go... there are, the fighting's only, at the, only ever at the end of every season, isn't it? Yeah, As opposed to yeah there's that. Whenever you want. Yeah, and also that there's these random places that you decide at the mm. start. And like you put these little flags out. And like they are where the wars are going to be, and you can turn up or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's up to you. So you can't actually just go and declare a war or anything. You could lose your invite, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's the game. It has three seasons where you're playing, which are spring, summer, and autumn. And in the fourth season of winter, it's just tallying up points. We all go home. Yeah. We've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one wants to fight in the snow. And um, you you have each season will start with a tea ceremony, which is an opportunity to forge alliances with other players and this is one of the things that I quite like about the game. That was so civilised. It, it was, we all sat around drinking tea and uh, forging alliances and one of the things I find in a lot of games, mm-hmm. alliances don't really mean a huge amount, they no. can be quite vague in the sense of not being an actual part of the game but two players deciding to work together to topple another player or something like that or um, it can be well we're going to be allied which means you're going to get these trade goods at the start of every round or something like that Um, and this actually makes it a lot more interesting because you've got your different actions that you're going to play through the game which are uh, political mandates so on, on your turn you'll draw a number of tiles from the top of the political mandate tile stack mm-hmm. and you look at them, you pick one and you put the others back in the order that you drew them uh, and that will give you your action for the round and other players can do it as well. It's basically this is what everyone's yeah. going to do now. So for example there's like the marshal. So everyone gets to, if you draw them play the martial political mandate, everyone gets to move their troops. Mm-hmm. But you, because you've played it, and an, and an ally, if you've got one, will get an extra bonus, which is that you can build yeah. a stronghold. Yeah, you okay. know, you always get a bonus for being the one that picked that, because yeah. it's on your turn. So you do an extra yeah. thing, but... Typically, it means that you get to do that last, so you can see how everyone else <clears> does it. So like you see how everyone else moves their forces, then yeah. you've got an opportunity to move to react to that. But if you're on an alliance, you're a, your alliance person. Your ally. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yes. Flipping it. <laughs> yeah, that's a word. Ally. We've been you're... talking about books this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the dictionary. Was it? <laughs> so, yeah, your ally gets to also do the special thing as yeah. well. And that's the benefit of being on an alliance. And I think you... Were you in an alliance every time? I managed to be in, a, in an alliance every round. With Just by being players. nice to me and Heather. It mm. was... Yeah, it worked out well for you, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. And there are actions, though, that are better not to not to be in an alliance when you play. Like the betray action. Because if you're in an alliance when you play <laughs> a betray action, yeah. it, it's a really good thing to do, but it breaks the alliance and you lose honour. And honour is important because honour will settle all ties. So, And also the player with the most honour gets to go first in each season. So honour is important, 
for you feel me, bad about yourself if you, you don't have it. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was very ashamed. But um, there is reason sometimes for breaking that alliance, um, and it's the only way that you can break an alliance during that season as well. Because once you make an alliance, it's there for the rest of the game. But yeah, I just felt that in this game, the alliance part of it was there for the rest of the season isn't it? it's there for the rest of the season but it just meant more than it did in a lot of games where I've seen it was powerful yeah. yeah but when I wasn't but it on... wasn't be all end up because when you're not in alliance you can use the betray you can use the betray yeah that, that's the thing like I didn't feel too bad when you and Heather were on an alliance because I thought I can't wait for the betray one to turn up <laughs> and I'm just going to use it <laughs> yeah each faction in this also has their own special abilities which is good, and that can come out through those political mandates. So, for example, Heather's faction, which I think was she the Lotus Clan? Yes. Um, Heather's faction ones. are able to uh, play, put uh, the political mandate card face down and just say what it is. And they, and they can just choose every time what they want it to be, which A, is good because it means that they're not restricted by the tiles they draw, but B, it also means that they can remove a tile they don't want Subsequent players, yeah, to, they could like get the betray one and say it was a harvest one, yeah, and then she's got rid of a betray exactly. And that's that could be a very powerful ability to do there's only two of each, yeah, yeah, two of each. And there's there's a total of 10 tiles, and um, you will, as I say, you draw them, and you get the way the game will work for each season is you'll have one tea ceremony, three political mandate uh, rounds where you, you play tea, it and everyone does that, tea, then politics, yeah. <laughs> then there's the cami phase, which is where. Um, you may get a blessing from the gods if you yeah. send Shin- Shintos to yeah, the shrines. Then we climb up mountains to the shrine for our spirituality. Yeah. <laughs> and whoever's got the most in a particular shrine gains that benefit. So mm. it could be like in in the game we played, it could be extra Ronin, extra <clears> coins, <throat> extra movements, extra honor, um, and they will be different every time because there's four shrines and you you play them from the core game has seven tiles. So there's something different every time you play. We did the recommended yeah. first game ones. And um, then you go back to having two political mandate rounds and, and another cami round, another two political mandates. Yeah, yeah. And then you get the war phase. War. Now, the combat in this game is different to the other two games we mentioned, Chaos in the Old World and Blood Rage, but it does have some similarities. So, for example, the, in this, you will only have, a, have two more than the amount of players, that number of battles. So the battles okay. are players plus two. So you draw five tiles um, at the start when you're setting up for the season, and you'll place these five tiles down. And you know then, right in this round, this season, this is where the five battles are going to take place. You know what order they're going to take place in. But you, you get war advantages, don't you, Richard? You Which do. you can bid on. Yeah. So the way that you actually do it is you have your money that you've kind of mm. accumulated throughout that round. And you also have... I can't Ronin. remember what you'd call it. What's that? Yeah, yeah, Ronin, yeah. But when I was talking about you have the little thing to hide it behind. You have oh, a little, yeah, you have cardboard a little shield stand. to hide your Yeah, so this is the point where you're having point. to hide the stuff you've got. So you have to declare it first, don't you? How you many, declare what you've got, but then you hide gold. how much you're bidding. And uh, how many Ronin, which are little tokens for little mercenary guys mm. that are going to help you in that war. And then what you do is you just assign gold 
to the different strategies that there are in the war, which are going to happen in a set order. It goes from left to right. The first one is ritual suicide, <laughs> which I did uh, because like, Matt, Matt was going to win this war kind of thing. But then when we revealed what we'd done, like all my guys had killed themselves in an honourable fashion. Seppuku, yeah, it's called. Yeah, they had done that. And then um, the next one is take hostages. So if you have had bid more gold on the take hostage one than the other person, you get to take one of their figures as a hostage. And didn't you take my dragon hostage or Heather did or something? <laughs> yeah, that was good. I had a, a big dragon figure that was, yeah. Of course, the advantage of that is if you take a hostage, then you gain a victory point from the player that you've taken it from and they lose a victory point. Hmm. So that's always worth doing. Yeah, that's pretty good. And then there's the higher Ronin. So you've already declared how many of these little Ronins you have. But um, whether or not you get to hire them is if you have put the most gold on that in so, other words, the mercenaries are going to, co- going to come fight for whoever's got the most coin. That's it, basically. And then that is the point where you decide the battle. So it's just, there's no dice rolling or anything yeah, like it's that. It's how just much force got you've got in that territory after, at the end of that. Which is very much like um, Chaos in the Old World, well not Chaos in the Old the Blood Rage and a lot yeah. of other games. How much force you've got in that territory left after all this has happened. Yeah, so it's like one, yeah, it's like how much force you have. The others will, uh, the losers get kind of killed don't yeah. they? they they get taken away go back to the reserves it's mostly based on how many f- on, on the number of figures you've got because some, some of the monsters will have different strengths mm. they'll count as different force and they've normally the got outcome. ability yeah, yeah. Uh, but your normal little figures generally just count as one force yeah my earth dragon could make one character run away <laughs> I had <laughs> and a go to a different one. dragon worth five force and mm. things like that so yeah yeah that was great so yeah after the battle's complete the, the next thing is Imperial Poets. And this is basically how many victory points you'll get at the end. Yeah. Or whether you'll get them. So if you put gold on that and you've put the most gold, then you get a victory point for every figure. every figure that's been killed in that battle. So basically... Whether you've, you've killed them or not. Yeah, that's it. Whether it, they could have been yours or somebody else's. But it's like you paid the poets to write the story of that battle. Mm. So you get to write the history, basically. So it's The first part of that battle is the seppuku, which we mentioned when a player might bid on that and then kill all their own figures, mm-hmm. uh, which would give them victory points and honour for each one they honor. kill. It's a very honourable thing. Even though they've they've killed their own guys, you can get victory points for that. Yeah, so you just write a different good. story at the end. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. So yeah, having gold on that really helps. So what happens is you each assign gold onto these different strategies there and then you reveal at the same time then you go through them and see who won each thing, see the results of the battle and see everything. Now the person who... What, what you have to do is the person that won, no, the person that loses will put all of their... take away all the gold that was on there and then put it back in the reserves. Like that yeah. gold is gone. But then the winner does not put their gold back into the reserves. They give it to the loser. They give it to the loser as war reparations. Yes. And uh, that's that's an amazing that aspect. That is a great thing great. that really balances this out, I think, because you kind of go into a battle, particularly if it's one of the first battles of that season, mm-hmm. you don't want to put overwhelming amounts of coins down, because if you do... You're going to then give that coin... You're probably going to win, yeah. but you're going to then be giving that those coins to the other player. Now, if you're, if you're looking at it and you're thinking, well, there's going to be five battles this round, I've got three battles against player number player B, let's call them, and... Don't call your wife player B. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, 
if if you've got to have a fight against someone later on in that round, you don't want to spend overwhelmingly with your coins, so that they'll have those coins then to spend overwhelmingly against you. So you have to sort of um, be a bit thoughtful as to how much you bid because you mm-hmm. want to win them obviously yeah sometimes not because you want to do them so for example with the seppuku uh killing all your uh, own figures to gain victory points and honor you might not want to do that but you might not want your opponent to do that uh, so you could bid on that, that to deny them the opportunity and just not you don't have yeah it, says, you win, it always you says may to, on all yeah, these things it's optional but you you basically win the option to do that so you could bit heavily on that so your opponent can't wipe their forces out and you will see in when you're quite overmatched that is quite an appealing option so then to have someone deny that it's like no you don't get to kill yourself i'm going to kill you don't take that away from me you yeah know, it's quite a powerful scary monster option. that i have yeah some <laughs> of them going are to feed freaky. my dragon yeah mm. there's one with like a tree and yeah some of them are quite weird there's a lot of skulls and some of them have heads and there is a tree that just has heads on it and that is, that is I don't like that one no no that's, that, was, we that was a little that. bit weird yeah. to use that in the game um, but I do think that the combat in this is very interesting now mm-hmm. I say you're not going to have battle every round and if you, it's just you and an ally in area it's just whichever of the two of you with the highest force you will, will, yeah. will take that you all just shake round. hands and then yeah. just just talk each other out of seppuku. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it is quite important because um, the if you get these different uh, territory tokens, you get bonuses at the end of the game for how many uh, different tokens that you've got. Yes. And that can, be, that can be up to 30 points, which is quite a lot in this game. Yeah, so trying to fight, war, well, win wars in lots of different places. Yeah, it That's is an good. advantage. Yeah. Uh, but also you can get points through other cards uh, for strongholds and things like that depending on which cards mm. you've got. Uh, I think there's ones that give you bonuses based on how many virtue cards you've got. Yeah, you like can that. gain virtues. Yeah. There's things like benevolence. My wife um, was very virtuous isn't she, in this game. She was the most virtuous out of all of us in that she had one virtue card. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a very virtuous game in the end. No. Uh, and I was actually... My figures were worth a lot more in combat because I had the least honour. You so were constantly the, trying to mm, make sure I had less honour than everybody else, so that which my you managed guys very could well. be nasty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that was good. All in all, a really interesting take with the bidding on the war advantages mm-hmm. um, for combat. Interesting area control. You could harvest uh, by playing the harvest action and gain your um, territories bonuses if you got the most. In an area, what I quite liked about your clan was because we had strongholds. Now we start off with a stronghold, and you can build more by playing the, <laughs> by you or your ally playing a martial card. Yeah, but well, um, I built mine. They, he could just move his all over because he was the turtle clan. Mine, so yeah. he's had these amazing little figures with a turtle with a building on the back of it, uh, and they could just move from territory to territory. Mm. Uh, whereas ours was stationary. But <laughs> I only had two, and I just kept moving them around. <laughs> but yeah. That gives you a few less mm. points at the end, but it's just so convenient. Yeah. I mean, we played with the core game plus the Kickstarter exclusive. So we didn't play with all the add-ons, but we had a few of the upgrades. So, like, the strongholds were upgraded from the normal tokens. The alliance uh, tokens were upgraded and things. One oh, of the nicest things yeah. about the upgrades was the political mandate tokens because they were on, they like, were tiles. tiles as opposed to just cardboard tokens. They were, tokens. like, dominoes we were laying down yeah. with, like, proper Japanese kanji on them and it was... It just felt so yeah. much like it was a, a proper Japanese game in, like, the Bushido-type age. It looked good. It was... It, aesthetically, the game 
is fantastic, isn't it? I mean, we um, we had the mat, the play mat to play on as well, mm. which had a, quite a funny smell when we took it out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't. <laughs> I don't think it really counts too much against the game. No, that the but... mat was stinky when we took it. <laughs> well, once it had aired, it was fine, wasn't it? It was just yeah. it kind of got the idea that whoever had been manufacturing this in a, somewhere in China was just farting in every single tube before they shipped it out but um you know i don't think it was that aesthetically yeah it was probably something to do with the glue or the dye that was used but aesthetically the game was fantastic wasn't <laughs> is it, it no i know it was a joke but i just felt like it smelled like glue or something so <laughs> yeah, that's what i was thinking yeah i just didn't even think of that <laughs> but did seriously aesthetically the game was was fantastic i mean we had one of the other things we had was the upgraded coins which was nice again yeah. not essential the normal components for this are nice components. Kickstarter ones were a little bit nicer. Um, but to look at aesthetically, it was beautiful, wasn't it? The miniatures and yeah. everything. Yeah, this is a, a highly recommended game, I think. We were, uh, while we were playing it, I said it was uh, one of the best games I've played in a long time. And um, I think we're going to play it again. This Actually, evening? We, yeah, waiting for Heather to get back. How do you want to play it? <laughs> <laughs> so, overall... You, we've we've already said that you you prefer this to the other two games in the series yes, yes. over Blood Rage and Chaos in the Old World. You're not normally a fan of area control games. No, but the way that these work, they do it so well, and that the area control isn't a massive massive part mm. of it. It's quite a, a almost a Euro hybrid in places, isn't it? That's it. Yeah, and because um, like in in Euro games, sometimes like the victory points and stuff like that will get annoying mm. and uh, various kind of resources and things. There's normally... What what gets me in a game sometimes is if it all comes down to just one thing. Yeah. And I find that quite annoying. But in this game, there's so many different ways of playing it and so many different strategies that I feel like even when you're losing, you can enjoy it. Mm. Which, you know, I think me and Heather were joint second after you yeah. and... Uh, and both of us really enjoyed it, mm. and uh, and that's really is the mark of a, a good game, I think. So, this gets a lot of points from me for that. So there we are, the game of the rising sun. We highly recommend this one from mm. Call Me On Up. The Metal Some Meeples present music news and reviews in conjunction with Paradise Rock UK. Hi everyone, and welcome back. We're- Yep, it's first Bard's Corner of uh, Season 2. Little Rusty. <laughs> Little Rusty, yeah, but we'll get there. So, this this uh, for this first episode, we're going to be looking at the rather belated uh, 2017 Paradise Rock Music Awards. So we've got a number of different categories that we're going through that we're going to award to bands, albums, vocalists. So, Heather? Yep. So, first off, we've got the Best Album of Rock. Yep. So the best rock album uh, of the year. Uh, this we're awarding two categories for the best album. First one's going to be rock, and then coming up, we'll be looking at the best metal album of the year, um, as well as the best female fronted album of the year. So the first category, as Heather says, is the best rock album of the year, and this one we've awarded to quite an early contender from the year, Eclipse, for their album Monumentum. Mm. Uh, I'm sure you remember very well. Yeah, yeah, they'll listen to them quite a lot, don't we? We still yep. do, really, don't we? Yeah, we still have that album on very regularly. Mm. It's a fantastic album with songs like Vertigo and Never Look Back. Mm. Um, it was the first ten out of ten that we awarded last year, and 
at still at the end of the year kept that status of the best rock uh, rock album that we'd heard for that year it uh, was just so energetic mm. um on, it was a real powerhouse of a rock album and very worthy of the excellent reviews that it was given not just by paradise rock but by rock magazines and websites around the world yeah. so huge acclaim for that and very well deserved album f- from eclipse yeah and in the next category, we've got Best Album from Metal. Yes. Uh, the Best Metal Album of the Year. And that award goes to uh, Beast in Black. Now, um, that was a very good uh, metal album. New band, fronted by Anton. Well, not fronted by Anton, but um, uh, Anton was behind that album from Battle Beast. Um, and... It was a very unusual metal album, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, some quite almost classic type of uh, metal songs. One and was then, definitely a bit techno. Yeah, there well. was like a, a techno-styled uh, yeah. song there. It worked. It grew on you, though. Yeah. I find it did grow on you. At first, it was a bit. It seemed a little bit weird in the middle of the yeah. album, but it definitely grows on you the more you listen to it. And I think one of the reasons it stood out to me as the best album of the year was because it it sort of experimented a little. Mm. It but wasn't it, it just worked. an out and out metal album it mm. was metal but it tried some different uh, different things introduced some different influences that we don't usually see on a metal album and that's for me is why i thought mm. you know it worked so so well and why it was very unique mm. um and actually we, we we did see them live at one point as well didn't we uh, that was this year not last yeah. year we saw them live and they gave a fantastic live performance oh yeah definitely if you if you got the opportunity to see them live it's definitely worth going and having a look they're really good yeah very good stage show, very good performance. Mm-hmm. Um, we really thoroughly enjoyed that, but we'd uh, awarded that out. We decided to award them the best metal album before we saw them live because obviously this was based <laughs> from 2017's yeah. releases. So definitely recommending that one. So on to the next category. Yep, next we've got the best fil- female fronted album, album. Yeah, and this one we've decided to give to Adrenaline Rush. If you recall their album, we were listening it mm. to it a lot last year. We played it a fair bit this year as well. Um, now, this was an album that I said at the time that the the lead singer had quite a unique voice, didn't she? Oh yeah, yeah. I remember and, you saying that, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed the vocals on this, but there was something about the album that was just again um, similar qualities to. The Eclipse Monumental album, in that it had a real energy to the album. Um, obviously, all the way through, that 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 came through to me, yeah. um, and it was dominated all the way through by the vocals. Mm. And I just thought, really, it's it stood out compared to a lot of the other. I mean, there were some excellent albums all through last year from mm. uh, female-fronted bands. Um, including um, Martina Riedoff's album, uh, Robin Beck did an excellent album last year. Mm. Um, there were a lot of very good ones. Another one I really enjoyed was Angel Wings. Mm. So there was there was quite a, a lot of competition. I actually had to think about this award probably more than I did any of the other awards because it was quite close. But um, I have to I, admit, um, I wasn't too worried at first, too fussed listening to them. I know you liked them mm. really, really a lot. Um, from the start, but it kind of ha- it's one of those that really had to grow on me. Yeah, I kind of I wasn't too worried at first, but 
I think it is well well deserved. It is a well deserved album in the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a song on there. I'm as well, a bit breaking... funny about my choices in music. <laughs> we don't always agree. Nah. I mean, there's a song on there, "Breaking the Chains," that really made it onto my regular playlist. Yeah, yeah, I do like um, that song. Yeah, and again, I think that's an excellent one to highlight for the for the vocals of the album but mm. it's definitely one that i would uh, recommend in fact all, all of these albums we obviously recommend you to look at as we go through uh, the awards for 2017 so moving on to our next category yeah and we've got best female vocal yep and that one is going to martina edoff mm. now this she released a third album uh, last year didn't she we will align yeah. um i had the the chance to speak to her as well about that which was fantastic but her voice was probably one of the most powerful voices I heard mm. last year, and it was very good. Yeah, a lot of the songs really allowed on the album really allowed her to showcase that voice as well. I mean, it, it, the very first song was just an absolute powerhouse of a of a track, mm. um, and if you get the chance to listen to that, you'll notice all the way through. Um, she's able to change the tempo, modulate the voice in a really good way. She's able to um, really bring different aspects of herself out to each different track. Absolutely fantastic vocals. Thoroughly recommend you check out Martina Riedoff's We Will Align. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next, we've got the male vocals. Best male vocals. Twice represented on the awards, Yanis, uh, and that's the lead singer of Beast in Black. Uh, absolutely incredible vocals, and the range on there is fantastic. I mm. particularly... Blind enjoyed, and Frozen. Yeah, Blind and Frozen and Born Again uh, mm. from uh, that album were absolutely fantastic. It really impressed me as well how good he was voc- uh, live. So you never yeah. quite know if somebody live is going to have the same power that comes through in a studio it on like an album. It was just right off the album. It was like it, it, you couldn't tell the difference, really. It was like yeah. he didn't need that. You know, sometimes to start off with steady songs to yeah. warm up and he just kind of I don't know if he'd been practicing a lot beforehand <laughs> but he just kind of got on there and belted it out and it was yeah. exactly as you if not better as you heard on the album yeah you could tell it was you know it, it was live it was it had all the right inflections and everything to say mm. it was live because at one point I thought because as you say it was coming through so much like that on the album I thought still is, he, is he miming but he wasn't it, it, but yeah, yeah exactly he got that same crisp mm. crystal clear quality that he had on the album mm. the same sort of power that he had on the album but you could still tell it was live but I was, it was better. Yeah, I was thoroughly yeah. impressed. Thoroughly impressed. So, big shout out to Yanis from Beast in Black. Next up, we've got Best Melodic Rock Album. Uh, yep, and that went to Kryptonite. Uh, I really enjoyed Kryptonite's album. Um, that was very nearly a, con- a, a contender for Best Rock Album of the Year as well. Um, Keep the Dream Alive was a song on there that was absolutely fantastic. And as I say, mm. thoroughly enjoyed that. Be sure to check that one out if you haven't already. And then we've got Best Folk Metal. Yep, now this one goes to Eluvite. I hope I'm pronouncing that right because I never pronounced their name right. That's good. No, uh, you spelled Eluvite, it. <laughs> Evocation 2. Um, and uh, Pan- yeah, Evocation 2 Pantheon. That is a really fantastic album. Combines metal and folk music beautifully uh really incredible music on that album mm. i thoroughly recommend that you check that one out if you're not already familiar with them they have got quite a back catalogue of albums as well uh but this was mm. their 2017 release and as i say check it out if you like if you like folk music if you like metal you're gonna love elevity 
There's been quite a few different albums out that have been they've kind of had a mixture of different styles of music mm. in the same album, like that you wouldn't like combinations you wouldn't expect together. And it's worked really well for most of them, hasn't it? It's been a pretty good good year yeah. for music, I would say. Right. On to the next category. Um we've got Best Newcomer. Yeah, and that goes to the Gibraltar based rockers Angel Wings. Edge of Innocence. Now, The Edge of Innocence was their f- um, first full album. They had released an EP, I believe, beforehand. Uh, but really enjoyed them. The female-fronted. Um, really fantastic voice. There was, a couple, there was a song on there as well, Lilith, which I absolutely loved. And it nearly made it into um, the best female-fronted and best vocalist as well, because I just re- thoroughly enjoyed listening to the album on there both musically and vocally Um, if you like female fronted metal this this is one you definitely want to check out that's Angel Wings The Edge of Innocence yep and we've got I like this one it's called Legend of the Year now this is an award that we give to a band that's had a huge influence on music over the years a band that's been around for a good chunk of time uh, and really has released an absolutely fantastic album that year. Now this one goes to Night Ranger for Don't Let Up and mm. some of the songs on there somehow, some way, um, really do stick in your head. Mm. You're Running Out of Time was the other one. Those two songs I had stuck in my head for weeks after I heard them. That was again a very early album of the year but there were some fantastic songs from other long running uh, rock bands. Um, another one that really did well was Accept. Except had a fantastic mm. album out last year. Um, so did House of Lords. Next, we've got Notable Mention. Yep, our Notable Mention for 2017 goes to Tokyo Motorfist. Um, now this is fronted by Ted Poley. Um, and really is an absolutely great album, isn't it's it? It's my summer music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> driving. There's some really great songs on there. If you like, uh, if, you, if you like Trickster, if you like Night Ranger, if you like... Danger, Danger. <laughs> of Any... course, if you like Danger, Danger. Yeah. <laughs> if you basically, if you like melodic rock, you're gonna like uh, Tokyo Motorfest. I've not met anybody yet who said to me they didn't enjoy that album. Mm. This is a really good album. Just managed to miss out on being a contender for the best rock album of the year, but mm. only just. Uh, it was thoroughly enjoyable. We still put it on regularly now, don't yep. we? Um, of course, we're both Ted Poley fans. But I think even if you didn't, if you weren't specifically a Ted Poley fan and you just liked melodic rock, I think mm. you'd still really enjoy this album, even if you didn't know who was behind it. So thoroughly recommend that. That's Tokyo Motorfest with their mm. self-titled album, Tokyo Motorfest. Yep. And last but not least, award for excellence. Yep. Now, now I explain what this means. <laughs> <laughs> it just felt like it had to be said like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to have a category that would uh, that would recognise, you know, really good composition, really good arrangement, uh, really good writing, particularly lyrically, mm. um, as along with you know great vocals, great guitar, uh, great keyboards, basically a great performance across the board mm. by a band with you know great writing and everything to back that up and i had to give that one to tens gothica now this was one of our uh, three albums that we gave 10 out of 10 last year the other two being 
um, Eclipse's Monumentum and Beasts in Black self-titled album. Have you been setting that up all year just for the punt, just for 10 out of 10 for 10? 10 out of 10 to 10 uh, for <laughs> this one. This is, as I say, an excellent uh, demonstration of writing. Some of the songs on there are mm. fantastic. Lyrically excellent. Um, there's some really beautiful moments of, of mm. vocal and keyboard composi- composition can't really say uh, much more than that go check that out the artwork. 10 gothica yeah the artwork on, the on that yeah. is uh, excellent what i quite like about the artwork more than anything is the way that it um, relates to every song on the album mm. you see so again that's something else to go and look into but we give that award to 10 gothica for this year they are our 2017 winner of the award for excellence so quite a few uh, bands there and albums and singers that we've talked about if you aren't familiar with them please go check them out you can also find out more about them on our uh, website paradiserock.co.uk and if you go onto youtube of course you'll find uh, you can listen to some of their songs on there too see what you think let us know what you think do you agree with our uh, choices for the 2017 paradise rock awards do you disagree with them who do you think was the best rock and metal album the best female fronted album definitely let us know in the comments i don't know who you are but we're the middlesome maples and it's time to talk about books a very particular set of books hello and welcome to tone talk uh now today richard is going to be talking about a couple of books actually um but not quite part of a series but set in the same universe yeah that's basically what it is quite separated by time and possibly space yeah um this is ian m banks consider phlebas and use of weapons so richard tell us something about these books and why we should read them (laughs) right well um i wanted to talk about use of weapons because that's my favorite one out of the culture series that's kind of generally what they call this because it's about a civilization called the culture and of course when you told me you were going to talk about the use of weapons on term on term (laughs) talk i did worry about what you were gonna where you were going with some kind of samurai (laughs) instruction manual yeah (laughs) so yeah this is actually the the third one you could say but it's a it's not like a a normal series where it exactly follows on it's just um he thinks it seems like he just thought of another idea for a book set in that universe and so he he did another one so i wanted to mention consider phlebas because that is the first of the culture Mm -hmm. novels and it was the first one it was the first sci-fi one that uh, he actually wrote as well so, um, just trying to see whether so I don't was. tend to think of uh, Ian and Banks particularly as being a sci-fi author myself. Yeah, because when he doesn't have an M in his name, mm. then it's more just standard fiction, mm. although still pretty crazy. But um, yeah, it's more the sci-fi ones. Um, yeah, he started with with Consider Phlebas, and it's about the culture, but it's a bit of a departure from the culture series, which is a bit of an odd one to start with, mm. because in this one the culture is actually at war. Now, the culture is a far future kind of utopian civilization where it's basically post-scarcity. The spaceships look after everything. They have these amazing mines on them. And uh, and they gather the resources for humankind. Well, basically, but they're not doing it for humankind. They're kind of just doing it... They kind of have their own community mm. and the humans will live on them and things. And 
basically they look after humans just because that's the moral thing to do and the other ships would think they're really uh, petty and narcissistic if they didn't like help humans. So, so it's a kind of a begrudging aid for yeah, keeping up appearing. It's like they're, they're on an, up appearances. An, yeah, they're on like an enlightened plane of existence. Yeah. So there's no reason not to care for humans and things like that. But what has happened in Consider Phlebas is that there is this other species called the Edivans who are quite massive. They're, they're a bit look about like the uh, Lovecraft monsters, really. Mm. Um, now you've got me interested. Yeah. <laughs> so they are very... Um, yeah, they're very big and loud and very religious as well. Mm. And basically the culture is a bit of like an affront to their religion and they launch a war against the culture. And then the culture surprises themselves by fighting back and saying, like, we're not having this and, uh, and actually pursuing the war against the Adivans. And that's the... Um, that's the context where this book is and it follows a character called Horza mm-hmm. I think his full name is like Horza Bora Gobachol or something like that it's quite a long strange name but he I is see why you're not too certain on that yeah yeah well I'm never sure on the pronunciations of any of the names in these books but uh, I try I just do my best with them really but he is a spy mm-hmm. for the Adivans and he is kind of fight, working against the culture so mm-hmm. This is another strange thing. He started off the culture series with someone who is against it. Mm. And um, he has this pretty strange ability where he can actually mimic people's faces. It makes him a really good spy. He kind of puts himself into this trance and um, concentrates on who he wants to imitate. And then he can do it and kind of take their place. And he's been doing that for for quite a long time for the Adivans and it basically it's like a space opera odyssey mm. it follows him um, across like several planets and orbitals the the picture on the front um, it looks very strange but it's like a, a spaceship heading towards a big ocean but the ocean seems to be kind of going up into the sky and that's because it is actually going towards an orbital so it's not right. so much a planet it's a ring a little bit like on Halo mm. really but um, a these ring of ones, water well, this one's mostly water. I think that's just because they're by the ocean. But there is some little bits of land mm. by the side. So you can get, basically get a lot more surface area than you would from a planet. And these have been uh, become known as the Banks orbitals, <laughs> these particular ones. And it's, I think what it is is the size of it is enough that as it rotates for 24 hours, um, you get 1G of gravity from centrifugal centrifugal force so there is a particular size for them to be for that to happen so it's like an imitation of earth but way more surface area and way more places for people to live so anyway that's just a little thing and that's what a lot of uh, the culture is actually on so we've got this character then who can changes changes appearance as he mm-hmm. goes around now are we does that mean that we're seeing this from both this war from both sides in that book Mm. Is he, or is it's everything from his perspective? It is. It's from his perspective, but he just kind of he visits so many different places, and there are there are scenes that are just like what the ships are saying to each other as well, and uh, ships going on particular missions and things. There's one. There is a ship in this book because, like, occasionally things will follow on from each other mm. in this series, but um, it's only like tiny threads. But there is a ship in this that, as part of the war effort, has to destroy, I think it's three orbitals, mm. which are going to fall into the Adivans' territory, and they don't want them to have them. So this ship needs to actually uh, destroy them. And then a book, 
several books later, this is the one called Look to Windward, where the mind that was in that particular ship is now in control of an orbital, mm. and it is racked with guilt over the fact that it did this in Consider Phoebus. So that is one of the things that followed, and it's kind of... Uh, yeah, that that thing's kind of, with its massive mind. It's trying to cope with what it did mm. because it doesn't let itself Guilty forget. Ships. Yeah. yeah, and I think it actually because there were some people that got killed on it, people mm. that wouldn't leave or refused to leave, things like that. And the ship actually sent out drones to like record each death. Like it didn't want to make it easy for itself, <laughs> and it, it's basically been torturing itself ever since. It's it's That's, very strange, uh, very thing. very bizarre. It is bizarre, yeah, and but it's just. That's one of the things I love about these culture books is the mm. fact that um, the ships do think so differently to us and they give themselves crazy names as well. I think I did talk about the names at one point. But um, yeah, what I really wanted to talk about though was use of weapons. So one reason I want to talk about Consider Phoebus or at least mention it mm. now is because I think there might be going to be a series of it. Amazon, from what I've heard. Yeah, I think it's going to be Amazon. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, you don't, yeah, you're not a fan of books being adapted, do you? Not you, always. You, Sometimes it's very good. But if it's a book that I really love... Uh, you don't want it to be messed up. Yeah, that's uh, basically yeah, it. Because that, that is quite often the case, particularly with fantasy and sci-fi mm. shows, that uh, they'll be maybe made more commercial, uh, yeah. or things that are quite unique in a book will be... Uh, played down a little bit because obviously some things work in, in books yes. as opposed to yeah. working on, on film and vice versa so that yeah. has to be taken into account but yeah. sometimes it does lose something and some books like Aragon brilliant book by Christopher Paolini mm. the film was atrocious with the exception of Jeremy Irons yeah <laughs> well maybe he'll be in that so well, yeah, you, never know, know. you never know you never know that could That's save right. it yeah Jeremy <laughs> Irons can save pretty much everything yeah. but unfortunately um Ian Banks isn't around to kind of make sure <laughs> it goes on track anymore, so that, that's a, a sad thing. But um, yeah, what I really want to talk about though was use of weapons. Now, mm. this one, actually, he did do a draft of it before Consider Phoebus. So one of the things that one of the reasons I think this book is so good is that he had two full goes at writing mm. it. So like, he wrote it um, in the early eighties, and it was like incomprehensible. Right. <laughs> I'm going to explain in a minute why this book does get so confusing. If it's incomprehensible, should we try? <laughs> well, this is it. That Are we going to try and explain something that's incomprehensible? No, 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 this one isn't. We're no. not Mission Impossible here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, <laughs> yeah, that, this is what this dun, series of Madison Meeples is. Dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, we're going to explain everything that's incomprehensible. But so anyway, buckle up, um, folks. It's about to get, get wild here. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, it didn't get published at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, you wrote Consider Phoebus, and then the second one was The Player of Games. That That's quite appropriate for us, actually. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's about someone who's, who's like, really into uh, like game theory and stuff, and it uh, gets sent on a mission. But anyway... Because um, there is a... How many books are there in this series, Richard, altogether? Oh, There's quite a them. few, isn't there? There is quite a few, but yeah. But they don't have to follow them necessarily in order, because they, they tend to be quite spaced apart in time. So. Well, what we have here is one, two, three, four... Twelve, but they are the um, they're just all the sci-fi ones. Yeah, and not all of them are culture ones. Like against the dark background, fearsome engine, they're not. But um, surface detail, and then there was also the hydrogen sonata. After that, yeah. now that was the last one. So there's actually there's actually one more than there is in the list here. But anyway, um, yeah, I read Accession first. That was my first introduction mm-hmm. to it, and that pretty much blew my mind because. It's far less 
human-centred than the others. Mm. Like, Accession is basically all about the ships, and <laughs> the story in that is absolutely crazy. And then I read a few of the others, and they're oh, these are a bit more normal. Mm. But, um, yeah, use of weapons. Um, he actually, I think he says in the prologue that his friend um, persuaded him to bring the old warrior out of retirement. That's it. He says, I blame Ken McLeod for the whole thing. It was his idea to argue the old warrior out of retirement and he suggested the fitness programme too. So okay. that is like rewriting this book. The so old bro- if you don't like this, if you read these books <laughs> on the premise of this tome talk and you're not happy with it, That's don't impossible. blame me because I had nothing to do with this. Yeah. Richard, maybe a little bit of blame, but Ken mainly McLeod. Ken McLeod is the one you want to... <laughs> yeah, don't even blame Banks for writing it. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. totally McLeod's idea. Yeah, so I think just, like, having another go at it, um, it's just made it... Like, even for Banks, this is a, a very good book. Mm. And um, the old warrior he was talking about would be uh, Zakalwi, which is the main character in this. Now, he is someone, a little bit like Horza, is used by mm. one of the great civilizations. This time it is the culture mm-hmm. that he works for. And he describes his job as he fights wars. Mm. So it's basically they can send a him soldier, into a planet. Maybe we could describe him as. More, yeah, but more it's pithy. always. Um, it's always a different rank, though, and like sometimes it's kind of a spy, and they will just send him in to um, kind of take control of an army. So more of an operative than anything, then. That's it, yeah. But he'll be there like as a field marshal or something, and it's uh, they will send him somewhere where they can't interfere directly. Mm. And because he isn't actually a citizen of the culture, I mean, he's just somebody that they grabbed from a planet. Mm. Um, yeah, it's. Um, it makes it so that they can actually interfere without interfering. Now, he's uh, obviously very skilled as a warrior and everything, but um, there are a few times in the book where he's tried to stop like, being a soldier, and uh, he's it kind of goes keeps getting pulled back into the wars. Yeah. Now, what is is now? This is going to be this is the difficult part. This book, it's basically two stories. Yeah. That are going in opposite directions. Right. Now, With two different characters, or is no, it the, same the same character. character. They're both about Zakalwe. Yeah. Now, what what is happening is there's the story of him being on the actual mission that mm-hmm. this book is about, basically. Um, so, kind of, it's his latest mission. Yeah. And that story is going forward. Now, they are in the properly numbered chapters so section oh, yeah. one we have the good soldier and then there's there'll be one oh, that's interesting because it's counting down when you look at richard's just showing me the con the contents page here and the yes. chapters are counting uh both up and down <laughs> yeah so <laughs> you have one and then you have the roman numeral 13 being the next one followed by two and the two, roman number and then 12 numeral for 12 and then three then 11 so you've got one story that's counting forward the other one's counting back now that actually ends up working amazingly because at some point it kind of crosses over oh and uh, it, it's, it's a weird way that it works. But so basically, it's quite unusual as a writing style, isn't it? Because yes. you can kind of Im- imagine maybe a sto- two stories playing out simultaneously, but mm. both moving forward through time. Yes. Um, mm. But to have two with one going forward and one going back in time mm. again with the same individual. It just yeah. seemed odd to be going in reverse. Yeah, so you've got his mission. You've got like what he is doing now, but you don't really understand much about the guy himself. Mm. Whereas you get to each of the new Roman numeral ones, 
counting mm. backwards and each time you learn a bit more about him and like what has made him the way he is he, he has a few weird phobias mm. and that doesn't become a phobia you don't realise why until right near the end of the book which is like Roman Nubal chapter one <laughs> which is like this is where it all started and you can really look forward to it as you're getting through the book it's mm. like there's so many weird things about this guy and I want to know why <laughs> and um, yeah because he kind of he did kind of grow up in a quite a privileged way um, he was an aristocrat on one particular planet, but then he and his step-siblings ended up fighting like a civil war, basically. Mm. And when you get to all that stuff, because um, that, that's kind of mentioned early in the book, it's not much of a, yeah, a spoiler. Yeah, we don't want spoilers. These are not spoilers. Um, it, these kind of things become apparent, but you realise kind of what a crazy life he has lived. And the Roman numeral chapters are so good because it is he's lived a very long life. It's like a couple of hundred years because there's been, he's like had genetic modifications, sometimes he's been frozen, things like that, sometimes he was dead for a while, you know, it's just all kind of weird stuff that happens in the future. But um, it is just the standout bits of his life. Mm. So it's like the most interesting part. So each of those Roman numeral um, counting backwards chapters is pretty amazing. Mm. Um, the counting forward ones, they are a bit kind of slower because it's, it's his actual mission that he's doing now. But it's still really interesting because, like, he they've put him on this planet and given him a job to do. But they've also kind of made him a billionaire on that planet as well and, like, set up a whole company before he even got there. So he can basically do whatever he needs to do. <laughs> and it's, it is a very strange... Uh, it, it's, it's just a very interesting way that it happens. Now, a few of the characters in it turn up in other books in various indirect ways and... Mm. I just think if you were going to start with a novel from the Culture series, I think Use of Weapons is a good one to start up, even though Consider Phlebas is the before. first one. Yeah. Yes, just because for me, Use of Weapons was one of the very last ones I read. Mm. And I thought, oh, what have I missed out on <laughs> once I read it? But you know, a lot of the others are brilliant as well. They all kind of focus on different aspects of it. So why should somebody pick up Use of Weapons, do you think? What stands out about this book to you? What stands out about it to me is that it is such a a brilliant um, vision of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very kind of... It just spans so much in time and space, as you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and yet it's such a human story as well. Mm. And I think people kind of will be able to appreciate the drama in it, but also a fairly kind of mind-blowing scale of it as well. And the writing style? Witty. Quite unusual, yeah. isn't it, as well, with with the stories travelling backwards in time? It is, yeah. Um, a lot of... There is quite a lot of description. Sometimes there'll be, like, a chapter that doesn't have much speaking at all. Like, there was a time when Zakalway decided he wanted to be a recluse and everything, and that's a very strange chapter mm. to read. But, you know, so many different styles just in this one book mm. that um, it stays interesting. And, um, yeah, like I say, he is a, Banks has got a good sense of humour. I mean, for a while I would only read... I wouldn't really read any novels where the author can't be bothered to be funny. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it just, just needs a little bit of wit yeah. in there as well, even yeah. if the story's harrowing. And uh, just so they've made Well, it. that's it. If you're going to tell a really dark, dark story, throw in the odd bit of... Even if it's dark humour, the odd joke now and then. I love dark humour. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do love dark humour. feels so healing when you laugh at something <laughs> like that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So there we are, folks. Richard is recommending 
both of these, but primarily use of weapons. Yes, primarily use of weapons. And consider Phlebas, both by Ian M. Banks. So there we are. That's the end of the first episode of Season 2. Uh, thank you for joining us. Mm. You Be sure to check out our website, meddlesomemeeples.com. You can catch up with some of our different podcasts on there. And in the meantime, we'll hopefully be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode and some new meddlesome views on a whole variety of subjects. Yep, we need to go and read and like play lots of games and stuff, so we've got stuff to talk about next week. It's a hard life. It is. <laughs> it is. It's really it's tough. It is. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard being meddlesome. Oh, yeah. Well, for a living. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so you can now see I'm wearing the Hat of Infinity. And now for our viewers and for our listeners, just picture a, a weird hat with weird stuff on it and you get the idea. <laughs> and It's but, not the one he was wearing at the beginning. It's red now, it's which means shorter. the show's over. Yeah. Yes. Be- yeah, because less time. Yes, that's it. <laughs> get squashed every it time. Gets, it's, it's the weight of all the, the burden of, of hosting this show and, <clears throat> and producing this show. At and, the start, it's full of knowledge and then it's yeah. just <laughs> as you, as you dispense, dispense the knowledge. It, yeah. Yeah. So, so here's a task for you between now and episode two. If you see someone wearing a funky, crazy hat, say hello. If they're like me, they may not have talked to anyone for a while, so just remember, <laughs> be nice to us quirky hat wearers. Yeah. It's not just a style, it's a way of life. And a symptom. Farewell, Quester, and thanks for joining us. If you wish to avoid the wrath of Grayscar and the Black, then subscribe to our show before you depart. Our fortress is located at meddlesomemeeples.com or join our banners by rendezvousing with us at facebook.com forward slash meddlesomemeeples, instagram.com forward slash the meddlesomemeeples, or follow the flight of the mountain bluebird to act meddlesome meeples. Until next time, Questa, farewell and keep thine axe sharp.